The Croissant and All. Welcome back to the Welsh Music Podcast. It's been a while, Neil. It has, yeah. Great to be back, though. And uh, some brilliant news you've got to share with us. Yeah, so uh, not only is it a new series of the Welsh Music Podcast, Series 2, and we've also got a new presenter, no longer a friend of the pod, actually the pod, Dave Owens. Welcome. Oh, hello, boys. What an absolute privilege. What an absolute pleasure. Obviously, when you... You know, made the big money bid for me, which I think was um, two cans of Stella and a pork pie. I was in. <laughs> I was straight in. <laughs> Cheap date. <laughs> Definitely. I still haven't had the cans, by the way, although pork pie was very nice. Lovely to be here. This has got to be the best Bosman signing since James Milner, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, yeah, I- let's hope I can keep going as long as he does. <laughs> Neil and I um, set up the podcast Dave, you were the first guest on the radar. We messaged you for episode number one. Uh, your, your chosen album was the big three. You were also in the Manic Millennium special episode and uh, featured as part of um, the the highlights of 2019 with Beth and Elvin. And also as a, a guest contributor to the, the 20th anniversary special we did for Super Furry Animals, Mung. Um, so you've, you've been on four episodes already, which is almost as much as me and Neil anyway. He was well on the way to his second half trip. I'm, I'm not so much, yeah. not so much a fan as a stalker by the sound of it, but uh, it was, it's an absolute joy to take part because you, you know you guys have been doing wonderful things and you know the podcast has been warmly received, a lot of goodwill, a lot of love out there for it, and the interviews have been fantastic. So here's to season two being equally good, if not better. Exactly, and we'll we'll be able to delve into your contact book a little, which is probably a little bit more deeper than ours. We were pulling up uh, favors, begging, stealing, and borrowing, and you know, I think that's the great thing about the the Welsh music scene, and I guess Wales in general is that everybody knows everybody. Um, and then you know, when we were doing a, a an interview with somebody, they were like, "Oh, you should go and speak to them. You should go and speak to them," and and that's what we did, and that's how we built up the network. And yeah, I think um, yeah, while lockdown was pretty much. Um, you know, I think at the start, it felt a bit sort of uh, more, a bit less challenging than it probably has been over time. I think, you know, it's great to get back and, um, you know, and embrace, you know, the new technologies like or, or technologies like Zoom where we are. So we don't have to be at the same place as our guests, which we did in, in the first series. We can do this over over Zoom and video calls. Sure. We've got a great guest lined up for for your first episode, Dave. We, we've still got two recordings left for, for the from series one. Neil, who've, uh, who have we got lined up? Yeah, we've got um, Mark uh, Roberts, a uh, great songwriter, obviously with Catatonia, but also with the Kirf, um and Shiver Antlers and The Earth and solo stuff recently, which has been brilliant, his last two uh, records. So, yeah, that was a really cool chat. That will be this episode now you're going to hear after this. And we've also got the um, novelist and uh, writer um, Floyd Owen, who chose um, Kelly Owen's self-titled 2017 album. So that'll be the next episode after this and then it's uh it's a three-way panel then uh with the, you know with dave on board and yeah can't wait be brilliant who's the first guest uh, that dave's going to bring along mr richard parfait formerly of six of adults uh one of the more interesting members of uh the welsh music community uh he's got some fantastic stories to tell um and i'm looking forward to him Giving us chapter and verse on his rock and roll life. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a great episode. We're trying to get him on the show for a while, trying to uh, arrange calendars, which has always been a bit challenging when, you know, both Neil and I have been working full time. And, you know, I've, and Neil lives in Merthyr, I live in Cardiff, and I got two small children. So trying to find time for everyone to fit in, you know, this is why this thing makes it a little bit easier doing it remotely. Sure. Um, should also mention um, you, you heard a new theme tune for Series 2. Neil, do you want to tell us? Uh, what the, the new theme tune is? It's um, a tune I've really liked for ages, and I, I just thought it sounds so cool just for an intro, you know, opening 30 seconds, great riff, and it just builds and builds. Um, it's by a band called uh, Surreal Kinnock. Um, great sort of pun on, you know, obviously, Surreal Kinnock. And, um, yeah, we played one of their tunes, uh, Morning Jazz, at the end of an episode. But, yeah, I've had Bipolarism, which is the song at the start, um, on, on the radar for a while. Um, it's on their forthcoming um, Clean Living uh, EP. And um, yeah, uh, it's, yeah. Ho- hopefully, you all like it too. Um, 
thanks so much to the guys from the Montagues as well who provided us with a brilliant... Yeah, um, definitely. Well, it wasn't instrumental, actually. It felt like instrumental from the first 30 seconds. But yeah, great track, uh, Devils, which is on their Calibrate EP, which is available now uh, to download on all streaming services. Yeah, so what, what sort of stuff have you been enjoying over lockdown? The, the Mung 20th anniversary was the last thing that we they released. Um, I think it was a good way to end it. I just don't think, you know, Neil, when me and you first sat down in in the pub to discuss this, this is an idea we would ever sort of uh, consider being able to get the likes of uh, Griff Reese, Gorwell Owen, um, Pete Fowler, all of those people contributing to, 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 to an episode that we really wanted to do, you know, in terms of celebrating a, 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 a Welsh language album and a, and, a, and an album in general that is just, um, you know, so well revered. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's just incredible, really. Yeah, anytime I, um, any of the sort of big big bands sort of endorse us, um, whether it's, you know, the Furies or the Manics or, um, you know, um, Mark with Catatonia, it, it's such a thrill getting these big names in, you know, so tune into the, uh, you know, the life of the podcast, really. And um, I think that's something going to um, improve with the, with the next series now. Yeah, I guess um, also while we were in lockdown, we we, uh, we set up um, the lockdown sessions as well, Twitter listening parties. Um, I do think that we were first before a certain Mr. Charlatan uh, stole the idea. Uh, it just took a little bit more, lo- it took a bit longer for us to get uh, our contacts book um, firing on all cylinders. But we had, you know, great response to that. You know, we did um, it odds, um, Adwaith, Melin, um, Silent Forum, Libertino and, and Griffo Libertino has been fantastic with us from from day one, and you know they provided a lot of the a lot of the early guests, and as soon as they they all agreed, then everybody else you know jumped on board as well. We had um, Trihua Doith, uh, lots of Welsh language artists, um, Georgia Ruth with with my um, who else do we do we do a listen and party uh, with? Yeah, brilliant ones. I, I had Melis, um, Rooms and Curses, um, Darling Buds, their debut album. Um, I had Keys, Terry uh, Garcia, and Homeschooling, their new one. Um, and, and I find these listening parties have been an absolute godsend during um, during lockdown. Not just ours, obviously. You know, we we did a, a puny amount compared to Tim Burge. I think he's done about five hundred albums now, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. But um, it's such a simple, com- uh, you know, concept. But what, a, what an idea to come up with! Thank you. It was great watching it. To be honest, with you, I have to say that the way you guys, the industry, the creativity, the enthusiasm, and the passion, I think, just poured out. I think that's why people have really taken to the podcast because they can see the commitment on your behalf, and you know that. That's why I had no hesitation in showing it in because it's such a brilliant thing you're doing so uh, yeah hugely impressed with that yeah i should say though big shout out to neil for for keeping things running um during the lockdown on on social media and and, and keeping a an active community and a vibrant growing community going but it's uh, it's great it's great to be back guys it's lovely to see your faces yeah. um sharing a beer with you um although not in chapter or the usual places that we, we normally record it's, it's lovely to be back but yeah it does feel like a virtual chapter now doesn't it exactly. <laughs> exactly. yeah yeah it was only a year ago last week actually with dave up in the top room in uh chapter yeah room. i know it's gone so quickly as uh as as, as, as time team seems to be these days um so what, what have we been listening to guys since uh i guess since the last series um uh in may uh, I've got the new Dat Bluggy album in front of me, um, Cum Gwagler. It's uh, yeah. fantastic to see the return of uh, of, of Dave and Pat. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, what about you guys? I, I tell you the album I've been loving. The album that I've been loving is um, Zombie by El Goodo. Absolutely just, brilliant. I just about to say, yeah. I've album all year, actually. I just think it's the breadth of vision on that. I mean, you know, they take Stone Roses style lengths of time recording an album, but when they're that good, <laughs> you know, you you can wait for them. It's just I took my breath away, really. It's just uh, the imagination, the experimentation, uh, the flair, the vision, um, all recorded. I think in their usual venue, where I think the keys are recorded as well, which is the, in the yeah, yeah, an, an old church hall. Uh, recorded yeah. live, um, which is astonishing and gives a it's a, a real otherworldly sound. Um, I just think they're one yeah. of those lost bands, really. You know that the furries yeah, I mean, are promoted and um, championed, but 
probably never really got the dues and the kudos that they deserve. But yeah, that, it's a masterly work. Yeah, they're on um, Daph and uh, Kian from uh, Super Fury's label, Strange Town. And um, yeah. Pixie Jones is such a brilliant songwriter who's the front man. Yeah. And um, although it's nice having like, kind of like, you know, when you have a secret band that not many people know about and it's quite special. <laughs> yeah. Today, but otherwise, you think these guys deserve to be huge. Yeah. The, 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 they're that good. But yeah. Um, I, I've, um, I love the new Colorarm album, Chaos Wonderland. That's brilliant. Um, Kid Smoke have done a great record. Uh, Stay Voiceless, Annie Glass. I've been listening to loads of. Um, I, I did a uh, online gig with um, Horizons back in uh, June, I think it was. So I've been listening to uh, loads of Melis yeah, from back yeah. in the day. Yeah, loads of Darling Buds. Uh, yeah, and it, and it has been a time to sort of have more time to the indulge in sort of music for me, to be honest. Well, it, it, music sanctuary, isn't it? It keeps you sane and it's escapism. And, you know, we, we we need that desperately at the minute just to get out of ourselves in the sense of escaping, the, you know, the, the stress and the paranoia of everyday life and under lockdown and dealing with it. And, you know, I'm certainly one day at a time at the minute, but music has certainly been the thing that's kept me going and kept me strong. And, um, you know, thankfully there's been no end of great music made in Wales during this period. But you're remiss of me not to mention Key's new album as well. Yeah, definitely. Which, a lockdown album so, in itself. Um, absolutely incredible, you know, just off an eight-track recorder. Um mm. And then, obviously, um, Jerry Garcia was nominated for the Welsh Music Prize as well. Definitely. And uh, yeah. Richard Parfitt's yeah. album of choice, when he, when he will we interview him. Just quickly touching on lockdown and music, obviously, um, Neil, you work for a, a prominent um, Welsh music venue. Um, and I think that's the, the challenge that the music industry has, has faced with, you know, um, there'd not been much money there in, in, in recorded music and, you know, live music is the, is the key to a lot of the financial success of, of, of bands. And, you know, that's been taken away, obviously it's a big impact COVID and, you know, there's bigger impact than, than, than just music and the entertainment industry. But, you know, as you said, Dave, it's a, it's something that, you know, can, can take us away from the troubles of the world, not only in, in the pandemic, but, you know, the political challenges and, and, and struggles that, 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 you know, the world is facing. But, you know, how, how big of an impact is, is this going to have on bands who, you know, uh, you know not going to be making any money for music? They're working in, you know, part-time jobs that, you know, may have, you know, may have been on furlough and these sort of things. How, 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 how big of an impact is it going to have on, on Welsh music and music in general? Well, I think it's huge, isn't it? Um, especially for grassroots venues that are struggling to exist. You know, um, when we've been in and out of lockdown, we've seen music venues, some local ones like Club, for instance, opening up, opening up their bar, um, having socially distant drinks served and the like. And obviously that's been key. Um, but I think it's all going to depend on how quick this vaccine is and then how eager people are to throw themselves back into the throng. You know, I, I, for me, myself, I hope that it'll re-energize everybody for the arts, that everybody will just yeah. realize how much they lost and how much we stand to lose and not take what we have for granted. And that'll mean that everybody will rush back to gigs, will rush back to theater and live mu music venues. That's what I hope for. Um, I just hope that the fear slowly dissipates and hopefully a vaccine will help with that. But um, it's just so difficult to tell. I mean, I think that due to the work of Music Venue Trust and people like that, money has been made available to keep a lot of these venues going. I know uh, venues like uh, St. David's Hall, uh, the Neil uh, works for has obviously been in receipt of uh, money as has uh, Wales Millennium Centre and people like that. So hopefully, you know, finally uh, the arts were recognised because, God, it took months, didn't it? Yeah, it um, did take a while, didn't campaign it? Campaign before yeah. any money was made available. So hopefully if we can, you know, survive this period now and, and spring will bring a new dawn to the arts and to people's lives, then... We, we've got a lot to look forward to. And, and you have to be optimistic and you have to see the light. I think that's the only way. 
forward, essentially. I, I think that what we're really missing now is that collective sort of spirit. And, you know, a, a gig is such a communal experience where yeah. you're all reading on the same page. Um, and there's not many other avenues apart from, I would say, music and sport where you get that absolute buzz, really. You know, there's, there's not many things you can bottle up in life like music and it'll give you that absolute yeah. euphoria. But um, hopefully, uh, well, hopefully by next summer, I'd have thought, but who knows? Right, so it's probably the longest intro ever for a podcast, <laughs> um, but it's been amazing to be back, guys. I've um, yeah, really missed this. It's been yeah, a bit, bit of a, a challenging time for, for us all, but it's great to be back, Dave. It's, it's amazing to have you on board, mate. We're so happy to uh, to bring you into the, the Welsh Music Podcast family. Uh, officially, you were you were. You were definitely part of the family when you were doing your four episodes with us, but it's great to have you on board. And it's amazing to be back, as um, I think Dave, you alluded to earlier on, um, music is a medicine. So it's great to be listening to and talking about music on a regular basis again. Um, so thank you all guys for sticking with us. If, if you did over the last few months, we've sort of highlighted a few guests coming up that we're really looking forward to getting on, on the show um, and, and yeah, chatting through some classic Welsh albums again. Diokam Rando. Mark, Croeso. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. So, take us back. You were born in Clanroost, um, set up uh, your first band at Cave while you were at school. Yeah. Um, initially, I, I got um, drum lessons to get out of double French. And <laughs> um, um, my mate, who was also having the drum lessons, Dylan Hughes, he was just much, much better than me. So, I didn't see any point carrying on with the drums, really. And, you know, um, don't think my parents wanted a drum kit in the house, so um, I, I left it to him really. And I and like spent years trying to pick up a, this guitar my sister had, trying to get a chord out of it, and it just wasn't happening. Um, but like you know, like most things, if you persevere, you eventually get there. Um, you said um, over the years that um, perhaps like especially when you're in Catonia that. Um the indie rock label wasn't always quite accurate and you're a fan of pop music and there's like pop hooks and especially in the Catalonia melodies and the Catalonia music. Yeah. And um, you were a fan of ABBA. Um, was that like a childhood? What sort of pop music were you into then? Uh, it was just, you know, whatever's in the charts at the time. Yeah, mass, all, the, all the ABBA big songs, like they, they played a big part in my growing up. And um, also my sister used to have the, the Grease album, which, like, even though at the time I pretended I hated because I was into The Clash and that. Um, yeah, they, they're still good songs, you know, especially the theme tune, which is weird because it's not even a rock and roll high school type of song, is it? It's more <laughs> like a soul. They're the oldest-looking school kids you've ever seen as well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah talking of The Clash, obviously a big sort of influence of um, uh, in, in the early songs in, in A Cave. How important were they because of the music or because they look cool or anything like that? Oh, um, yeah, I think they both go hand in hand. But also, they kind of educated you, the Clash, because they didn't stay in one place for too long. They kept jumping genres and mixing it up and, you know, introducing the listener to loads of new musics and that. You know, I think a lot of people, when they bought their fourth album, Sandinista, like a triple album that was like full of experiments and stuff and stuff they'd written in the studio, you know, the old punks like were a bit like um, pissed off when when they heard that, but to me it was just like, whoa, what's all this? You know, and, yeah. and like you know, it might have taken me a couple of months to fully digest what was on it, but no, it was, it was like an education. Talking of education, um, didn't your geography teacher Tony Shavoni sort of um, help direct the band and and, yeah, and manage he, you? Well, when I was in school, I was just in the in the school dinner queue, and he. He came up to me. I, was, I had like a clash badge on my on my jumper, and he, I thought he was going to give me a row, but he said, um, "He said, oh, great band," and I, I couldn't believe it. And and then he said, um, I, don't, "I don't know if it's the same conversation, but like further down the line, he said, listen, John, a gig, because he found out that me and Dylan were in a band. But I explained that we all we're doing was messing about like with other people's songs, and he just um, he said, well, why don't you just." Um, What's Kavieti in English? Uh, translate. Yeah, yeah. He said, why don't you translate the songs? Uh, and so we did. We, so we had a set of like about seven Clash songs that translate into Welsh for our first gig before we started writing our own. Oh, amazing. Any footage of that or recording? Um, um, there could be foot early footage of uh, um, a rehearsal we had in school, but we had another lead singer then who I drafted in because... Uh, 
the first gig was in somewhere where I had a hiding in a band dance, so I didn't want to be on the front of the stage, so I went to sort of <laughs> skulk in the corner. Fair enough. And uh, those early songwriting efforts, did they sort of sustain into a curve then? The early songwriting efforts, um, they were pretty poor, as I suppose most people's first efforts are. Um, we did play them to begin with, but they were like sort of a bit cod, scar. Um, they weren't really happening. Then, a few years later, um, Paul joined the band. And what, what did he bring to the band? Well, initially, like, he brought his, like, um, he'd actually lived outside the can roost, so <laughs> he, he was much more um, worldly than the rest of us, so... Um, plus, he, he was by far the best musician in the band, and also he had uh, a more eclectic taste in music than what we were harbouring. What was he into? Oh, just all sort, you know, he... he oh... I don't know, he was, he was into African music, talking heads, um, all sorts of stuff, you know, that we hadn't even, you know, we, we hadn't reached there yet. Yeah. And is it fair to say that Paul is the sort of technical whiz kid of the band throughout the years? Definitely, yeah, the technical whiz kid, the calming influence, the, the brains, um, yeah, all those things. <laughs> we went to see uh, Rhys Moyne uh, in Carnarvon uh, two weeks ago, and he was talking about how you know the po- the fanzine culture was really important, and it also helped foster a um, a, a sort of relationship between yourselves and Rev and bands like that Bluggy as well, who were doing similar sort of things. And he he said it was like he found his like-minded fellow travellers. How important was that? Um, I guess do-it-yourself attitude, promoting yourself, creating fanzines, and and cre- and, and creating relationships across across Wales with the similar mindset. Yeah, it's like. Um I suppose creating networks of people, like people then were, went on to promote their own gigs, however small they were in the beginning. You know, a lot of those people then went on to bigger and better things. But it was just definitely a breeding ground for, you know, there was no support culture, or support network, I should say, for um, music, and definitely not in the Conway Valley where I'm from. So you've got to start somewhere and, you know, putting on your own gigs, making your own fanzine, it's the, it's the way to go. Yeah. And what were those early uh, gigs like, um, supporting Anne Rabin? Um They were really great, yeah, because, you know, um, we had been supporting other bands and that, but Anne Rebin seemed to be into, or at least coming from the same musical area as we were and interested in the same kind of attitude. Um, there's obviously an infamous story of Reese taking copies of Kamotowachluch to London and you know, knocking a door of enemy melody maker and um, chasing down John Peel in the wine bar to give him a copy. And obviously, a cave um, and that plug, as you mentioned, and a machlid featuring uh, Griff Reese on drums um, is featured on that. How important was that record in particular and that sort of uh, breaking down the barriers of, of going to sort of mainstream uh, media? Um, definitely important because from our perspective it gave us our first taste of a proper recording studio um, albeit we rushed the recordings it was like done in a few hours um, but um, our race is very important with just his get up and go and his attitude and um, I don't think maybe a lot of the things wouldn't have happened eventually if it wasn't for his, his input in the beginning and his um, involvement also, that album, the most important thing about the album, I think, is um, that Bluggy's track on it, A Tame Lad, yeah. which is like one of the best um, love songs ever in any language. Yeah. And Griff uh, covered that with Super Furries as yeah. well and brought it to another, um, yeah, another generation. That's right, yeah. Um, in 1986, then, um, you formed your own record labels at DNA? Yeah, that's because Reyes had chucked his off Andrew Records. Oh, right, <laughs> um, Why did he do that? I think it might have been in like you know like you see these wildlife programs where the 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 little chick has outgrown the nest and the <laughs> the mother kicks it out. It was either that or he thought our our um, records were too overproduced to be on the label. It's probably the latter. And the first release, per minute. Yeah. yeah. And then I guess you were in demand for a lot of gigs around the same sort of time across Wales and. It's a bit of a, a, a well-remembered Eisteddfod performance in, in 1986. Can you remember that? Um, the, the, um, 1986, I think that would be um, 
fisgard ystelwod ystelwod ab y gwain in Welsh um, I, I, I can remember that it was a good gig yeah. I think the Crumblers were playing with us and or possibly the Crumblers I, I just no I can't remember it <laughs> <laughs> no problem um, and around the same sort of time uh, Tony was releasing a, a bootleg cassette of uh, studio and live tracks called Dan Counter and that sold out his, his, his small run um, what can you remember about that? Um, I just remember that there's a by, by then there was some songs on it that we'd stopped playing live and you know there were sort of things that we were working on before that we did um, a Testament Now with the first um, long EP so it was, it was good to have like some kind of record of them out and because um, it came out in the guise of being like a bootleg tape that was perfect because it meant that we could also sort of disown it at any point if you felt that way <laughs> yeah. inclined um, you were saying about um, there being a sort of like great sort of uh, period for Welsh language bands in the late 80s, uh, yourselves, the Crumb Blowers, Ran Revan, Dap Bluggy, La Dog. Um, how important was uh, programmes like uh, Video 9 in terms of, it, did it allow yourselves to make uh, music videos and I think you went overseas to Warsaw, was it? Yeah, um, tremendously important um, for... I suppose for the, the the bands that you know you saw come out of it and get major record deals, they all well, I can't speak on their behalf, but I think that a lot of that is owed to Garrett Janman's program video now because, you know, um, giving you a day in a in a professional studio, you know that that's something we we couldn't afford, and then um, and then actually making a video of the song, so you had like something to promote the song that you just recorded, and it was just like invaluable experience, and and then the product that we all got out of it in the end. What was amazing after was that um, that we were allowed to release the song. You know, a lot of people would say, "Oh no, this is our recording. We own it. We paid for it." But no, they gave the songs back to the bands to release, so you actually had some product to sell and promote. Amazing. Um, and you, you mentioned uh, uh, EP A Testament there, and that was on um, on Sign, yeah. another sort of uh, stable in, in in the Welsh music um, history. Yeah. Well, that, that was like um, we'd been produced by this guy who was like um, My Way or the Highway up till then, and he wasn't really coming from the same musical place as us. But once we got to Sign, we were given an engineer, a twenty-four track studio, and sort of away you go, lads, you know. Which we I don't know if it's. You know, um, we 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 learnt a lot, but you know, um, it, it was great to be given that freedom as well by them. You know, I guess the next big um, next big stage in, in your musical career was was Catatonia, yeah. and again, video now, uh, Gwen, you performed as Sweet Catatonia with with Keris, and that you know that was the sort of um, the origins of the Catatonia story that would take you into, I guess, the, the next level of of stardom. Yeah. Um, I think Chris Moon had seen that on the um, th- that video on the television, and then he, he phoned me up, or he might have. I don't. I didn't have a phone at the time. He phoned my mum up in Canroost and and tried to get hold of me. Relayed a message saying at the time he he was then um, in charge of a subsidiary of signs called Cry Records. I'll just Cry actually, and uh, yeah, he wanted us to record for them. So that was the next step. And you had um, two EPs with Cry. Yeah. There's obviously, a, I don't know if it's an urban legend or something, that um, the way the Catatonia was formed was that you sort of saw Keris busking on a street and went and got her a new guitar string or something like that. Is that true or is that yeah. a complete fabrication? No, that's all the bollocks. <laughs> Did that come from you or was that something that someone well, else said? We just had to make it sound more interesting than what it was. You know. <laughs> so how, how, did you, how did you both get together? Oh, we just met in some Welsh gig somewhere, you know, like, uh, like people do. Um, and then um, did the enemy sort of made for Tinkerbell the single of the week? Yeah, that sort of sparked um, queue loads of um, record company interest and publishers, and um, they all they all came to a gig in Newport, and we thought we'd arrived. You know, like wow, there's a feeding frenzy happening here, and then um, we we sound checked about three. We were on about midnight and we proceeded to get hammered. <laughs> so by the time we were on stage, we didn't know where we were or what song we were playing. And uh, yeah, they, they didn't come and see us again for a couple of years. <laughs> and I think it was um, Welshman Yeston George, wasn't it? He was working at the Enemy at the time. He loved for Tinkerbell, wasn't it? And he was living with Steve Lamack, I think, at the time. Was that right? Um, 
I'm got not, some traction there. Maybe I, I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, he definitely was at the enemy at the time. Yeah, mm. the old days. Yeah. Although it wasn't him that gave us a single of the week. No, who was no. it? Um, was it? Um, it wasn't him. Just to. Oh, it was, it was, it was Stephen Wells. Stephen okay. Wells, yes. Yeah, I guess it cut kind of. Um, I've got a good memory. <laughs> <laughs> it snowballed quite quickly for you then, because um, I guess then. You know, you said the public student execs didn't get in contact, but you signed to Blanco and Negro, big label, um, and released Way Beyond Blue, the debut album. Yeah. Which was kind of, um, you know, some people see it as a bit of a collection of songs that have, have previously existed elsewhere. Well, it was, yeah. We yeah. were bone idle and we thought, oh, these songs we've got are good enough, let's put them all on the first album, even though they'd already been out, most of them. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Brilliant album, though. And, um, yeah, so you had the critical acclaim with uh, Way Beyond Blue, but then huge... Um, commercial success then with International Velvet, stormed to the top of the charts, um, nominated at the Brits and the Mercury Prize, and I think it was Road Rage nominated for Ivan Novello. That's surely sort of um, peak recognition as a songwriter like Um Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 me and Keris wrote uh, Road Rage together, so um, I can't take the Claude, what's Claude in English? Um, credit. Credit, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it was great at the time, yeah. But there's so many, so much stuff going on at the time that um, it was hard to keep up with it all, really. It was pretty crazy, like. Um, as you mentioned before, you, you sort of wanted to skulk in the corner because um, you got in trouble in the band. Yeah. That's, um, with Catatone, obviously, then, you know, you co-wrote with Keris, but Keris was the front person for, for the band. Um was that something you were happy to just sort of like just write the songs and, and stand in the corner again on the stage? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> so then a further number one uh, followed then um, with uh, Equally Cursed and Blessed and the top ten hit Dead from the Waist Down, another great track. Thank you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in 2001, uh, after Catatonia then, you formed Sherbet Antlers uh, with Paul Jones, yeah, your long-time friend. What was your sort of memories of those times? Um... I remember um, Catatonia coming to an end, um, or petering out more than anything. I remember um, Keris coming around my house and just saying, oh, I, I, I want to knock it on the head. And I was relieved more than anything, because <laughs> yeah. I just thought, oh, God, we're going to end and no one's died. So, um, and then we were sort of, uh, we carried, we, we had a few songs that we were working on that. And, um, we were just going around in circles, really, because we didn't have anyone to sing. And then we were friends with Kubrick Thug, John Griffiths and Kevs Ford. And um, I can't remember if they asked us or we asked them if they just wanted to do musical projects together. So we just like uh, worked on that just to have some kind of outlet for our creativity at the time. Was it, Did you have lots of songs in, uh, you know, in, the, in the book ready to go? Or was it something that you wanted to sort of maybe put a and then to the time of Catatonia and move on to something fresh and you threw all those songs away? Yeah, I, I, we, did, we did have some songs. Uh, that they've, some of them are good, some of them are shit. Um, but uh, yeah, the, we, we, we've never done anything with them. Um, then you moved on to Efech, which was obviously uh, um, an anagram or a, a mirror image of a An kid. anagram, yeah. An anagram. And released uh, Ice in 2006. Yeah. Again with Paul. Yeah. Um, quite a consistent character through your career. <laughs> yeah. What is it about Paul, apart from what we've said, that um, keeps bringing you back together? Um, just musically fantastic, um, great friend of mine, and we work together. Um, it's just like, you know, we never... I don't think we've ever had an argument about music, me and Paul, so... Um, yeah, I, I just find it easy to finish off things that he's written and... Hopefully, it feels the same the other way around. And um, before you came back in 2012 uh, with The Earth, um, I read that you were considering becoming a chess master. Is that an urban legend, or is that, was there something uh, to that? Oh, that was just a load of rubbish that I said <laughs> to some journalists. <laughs> um, yeah, and Earth, quite an, an interesting project. Um, Dav from Super Free Animals, Just yeah. Marley, and um, Dion Bennett a vocalist who was um, backing vocals on in a path. Yeah, she was. Yeah. yeah. And that's quite, I guess, maybe a more of a departure from your usual sound, I guess, is kind of a little bit more soulful and, and poppy. Yeah. Um, 
Dav bumped into me in, in a, a sister's party and just said, um, what, what are you up to at the moment? And I said, oh, nothing, I, I haven't got an angle. And he goes, I've got an angle for you. Come over and listen to this girl singing. Like, So um, I went to meet Dion over at Dav and Kian's studio and I was blown away straight away. Well, we just got to writing a song there and then. It's quite nerve-wracking, actually, because I hadn't met her before and uh, I didn't know what it was going to what the night was going to hold for us, but came out with the studio with a song finished, like, and, yeah, I, don't know, I was blown away by vocals and fantastic, yeah. And another uh, brilliant album you had um, with The Earth um, in recent years, Lost, uh, which was on the long list, I believe, for the Welsh Music Prize. Oh, was it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> I don't know. Davin Kian have a Strange Town record uh, as well, and then... Um, they put out your your debut solo album, yeah. uh, Isod. Um What made you want to come out and do a solo album? I've, I've never wanted to do a solo album, but um, I've got one very good friend who's always hassled me, going, oh, Mark, you got to do a solo album. I'm going, no, fuck off. You've got to do a solo <laughs> album, no, fuck off. Um, and in the end, um, both my kids had gone to school, so I had a bit more time on my hands, like, and... Uh, yeah, I just like had all these songs and I didn't know what else to do with them, so I started recording. It, it started small, but then it became a lot of songs and it became an album. And then I was just basically thinking, what am I going to do now? But I mentioned it to Dav and he said, oh, do you want, do you want me to mix them? And that was just perfect because I, I trust Dav and it was just great just to give them to somebody else to finish it, you know what I mean? And make it sound good, polish it. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, we had Hugh Stevens on, uh, on the podcast for our Welsh Music Prize um, special. And obviously, Oiso was nominated for a Welsh Music Prize last year. Um, and, you know, he said that everyone was thrilled when you, you put the solo album out. For him, you know, he called you one of the best lyricists we have in Wales and it's all about the lyrics because um, there's such a depth and cleverness to them. And um, every song floors him. And you made an album you wanted to make because you don't really have anything to prove at this point. And what do you think about what he said there? Wow. Um, thank you, who? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a... Um, there's a lot of uh, dark humour in, in, in that album as well. Um, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't like to... Um, I like to write deep, deep things, but I don't like to, things to turn out too serious, you know, because, um, I don't know, maybe it's a Welsh thing, just like I like to laugh at, um, you know, adversity. Yeah, I, and like just talking of one of the tracks on there, I think Amsomythanol is very reminiscent of, of a cave and very punky, but probably the the first sort of track that you've ever seemed to like gone back to that sort of sound. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I, all the songs sound quite different on it in my head. Yeah, I don't do. know. Um, I suppose that's the most like band oriented one on it, even though there was no band, it was me playing drums on a keyboard. But you know, this is how computers are developed these days. It's so Sounds so real, like yeah. it's. Uh, I don't. Know, I can't tell the difference anyway. Um, and an incredible response as well. Um, the initial run sold out completely within three days. Yeah, that, I, I, people are telling me don't make CDs. No one buys CDs, but they were wrong. Did it surprise you the the response to it? Because you know people were trying to make you sort of do it, and then you know. Yeah, like, no, it was really surprising, but um, it had like. Um, one of the songs on it, a Pusa, like it just got played to death on um, Radio Cymru and on some programmes of Radio Wales and that. And so it helps to have like a, um, inverted commas, like a hit. Yeah. And then, you know, that's the Trojan horse, I guess, you know, people have buy it, bought it, like, and then started complaining, oh, why didn't the rest of it sound like a Pusa? Well, I don't know. <laughs> and then almost a year to the day after you released Oysa, have you released um, Amen? Yeah. Straight away. And... A lot of the songs, well, all the songs are in Welsh, and you've started to put the translations um, out on Twitter. What what was the reasoning behind that? Um, there's a couple of people um, that from over the border that bought it, and like um, they were asking what are the songs about, and I just thought, um, well, I'll just translate because not everybody can speak Welsh, and um, maybe I'll just give him a handle on um, what what the feelings behind the songs are and just you know try and be more inclusive rather than just um 
think like you know definitely does open up that um the stuff that the the um Hugh was talking about in terms of like the depth and the cleverness and like you said you know that you you want to talk about deep and um meaningful issues but don't want to be too deep and meaningful with, with the lyrics and obviously Katrev um hen bobble old people's home is is definitely one of those songs yeah it's fucking depressing that song <laughs> <laughs> Um, has it been something you've enjoyed, like, um, sort of getting more into the sort of first-person sort of writing? Because I suppose, for, you know, you've more been familiar for a certain amount of years of writing yeah. for other sort of Oh, singers. definitely, because then I don't have to second-guess what the singer's going to, you know, be um, willing to sing, you know, because quite often I hand over lyrics and um, whoever it is singing will say, I'm not fucking singing that, and then I have to persuade them or not. <laughs> and then, yeah, at least when I'm writing it, I know I'll, I'll sing that. I don't mind, I don't care. And um, the um, Amen uh, album um, closes with Land Roost Revisited, a sequel of sorts to Henry yeah. Cloyd Land Roost. I wanted to dance on the grave of the song, basically, <laughs> because like, it just it doesn't seem to go away. Not, not that I want it to go away, but, um, you know, I've got kind of a love-hate relationship with it in that, um, you know, it was written a long, long time ago and, you know, I've I've been living in Cardiff for 27 years, so or something. So um, no, no, I just wanted to get another angle on it. So Mark, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate your time yes, revisiting my, my the pleasure. career. Um, I know it's uh, a bit like um, this is your life. Yeah. Or Where, something where's like your red book? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's about this time in in the podcast that we ask our guests to to choose an album, um, their favourite by a Welsh artist. Um, who have you gone for? Um, it was a difficult decision. But in the end, it wasn't difficult. And I come up with uh, Phantom Power by the Super Furry Animals. Nice. And um, of all um, nine of Super Furry Animals yeah. uh, albums, what, why did you choose this one? Um, to me, it's the most like fully realised, conceptually, melodically. Um, it's got my favourite Super Furry Animals song on it as well. That helps, like, which is Slow Life. Yeah. And then, um, I don't know, I just, it's just, it's gorgeous. It's, it sounds gorgeous. The melodies are gorgeous. It's And it's also, it's um, so effortless. Like, you know, I'm really jealous of how effortless it sounds. It's fucking amazing. Um, so just to provide a bit of context uh, for our listeners, uh, it's um, their sixth album, uh, and it was released on 21st of July 2003 on Epic Records. It reached number four in the UK, uh, one place below their highest um, chart rating for Rings on the World, and uh, produced by Gawel Owen, long-time collaborator, and Tony Dugan. Um, so this is quite a different sort of sound, I suppose, to their sort of more techno-sounding sort of Rings on the World, which was massively critically acclaimed. Um, what, 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 what did you think about it? Can you remember the first time you heard it? Like around then? Um, yeah, I think I saw them play it in... Newport, possibly. Was it Newport? I don't know. Somewhere in Wales. Um, and being impressed by the live show and the live renditions of the songs and that. Um, but to me, it was like a crystallisation of the sound that they previously had and, and it still kept some of the... Um, I think on Rings Around the World, they were, there was a couple of tracks where they started to experiment with like um, slide not slide guitar, what do you call those um, country western things? Um, pedal guitar. Pedals. Oh, uh, uh, pedal steel. Pedal right? steel, that's it. Um, but, but this was more, um, I don't know, it seemed to come more accomplished and less, I don't know, um, just, uh, it sounded more, you know, like um, the, the aspects that are like electronic on it, um, are sort of seamless rather than, they don't sound like they've been just plonked on top for the sake of it. It just sounds like that they've honed the sound and, and like um, there's things that I love like Gene Clark and um, the birds and stuff like that. And there's a lot of like uh, Americana on there and like piccolo snare sounds like something that the mamas and the papas could have written. Just gorgeous, you know, but, but, they, but it sounds like mamas and the papas without being pastiche, you know what I mean? It's like... Yeah. Um, so there was um, an initial sort of really interesting concept uh, behind the album that didn't quite come to fruition, but it did with a few songs, um, was the dad-dad tuning. Have you heard of this? 
No. Oh, right. Um, the initial idea was that it was going to be a 10-song record and it would, the, guitar, the guitar tunings was going to be D-A-D, D-A-D, dad, dad. Right. And they decided not to go with it because it would confine them in too much into a certain direction. But I didn't realise for years and years, father, father, one and two, is dad, dad. Dad, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it was um, Golden Retriever and that sort of thing was dad, yeah. dad. Um, did you have any sort of ideas like that um, over the years where it was like a mad idea that didn't quite come to fruition in the It's like a concept album. Yeah. Possibly. Well, my, my, my last album, Our Men, was meant to be a, um, an album about death. But, um, yeah, it didn't come to fruition because... Uh, I, I didn't have I didn't have um, twelve songs about death. I only had about five. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it's inspired by um, folk guitar players, apparently, like John Faye and Davy Graham used to play in Dad Dad Junior. Apparently, right? Yeah. I don't know. Whether you're oh no, I, I learn something every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a very very clever, um, sometimes playful, always melodic, um, brilliant album. Yeah. The opening of it as well is like um, it's almost like the sirens call before you come into Hello Sunshine, and it's just um, and uh, Hello Sunshine always feels like it's it's been slowed down, you know, just like yeah. they've recorded it and then just changed the sort of like tempo on it. But because or maybe gives, they have because like the drums sound so thick on it. They do. Thick, maybe they, they, I don't know. Yeah, but then when they play it live, it's just like is in the same sort of I don't know way, and, and I think that, that maybe the like, miming. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, um, but I think you know, Super Free Animals and Griff as well, with you know, and all of the side projects that the guys are doing, and you know, releasing Das Coolies uh, last week as we're, as we're talking, yeah. they're just so prolific, so creative. Um, you can't, you know, second guess what they're gonna do. Um, and this album was exactly the same, yeah. I bet. It kind of some some of the stuff in the other albums were pointing to to this, but um, I didn't think that. Well, hang on, the one before it was oh yeah, the rings around the world was maybe um, not. I don't think it's overproduced. I, I mean, they they'd uh, gone to town with it because they had the major record label budgets, yeah. like you know. But but this sounds like that that was reined in a little bit. And to me, the songs are just stronger, and it, you know. Yeah, I think that's the thing as well, because like while while they did have like you know, Gorwell and and um, and and Chris Jenkins as well, it was kind of like they produced and engineered it themselves, but with support from longtime yeah. collaborators, yeah. and yeah. you can definitely it was sympathetic see that, to what they were doing. Yeah, they pulled yeah. it back to what you know what what they were, and also it features um, Benfon on uh, lead vocals as well on, on on Sex War and Robots. Yeah, first time I think we hear his voice. Taking front and centre. That really sounds like, um, again, like a Gene Clark song off um, one of his solo albums. To me, well, you know, not in a bad way. Um, you know, it's, it's um, definitely Americana influence to it and yeah. country rock. Like um, amongst, I mean, it's it's quite a sort of um, warm earthy sort of summery sounding album, um, especially sort of stuff like Hello Sunshine. You can't help but sort of feel happy hearing it. Yeah. But um, underneath it, there's um, as many mentions there are of like playful lyrics, like Mingers, I'm a Minger, you're a Minger too. Yeah, that's it's, brilliant. It's, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe that the, the studio isn't all like, you know, <laughs> on the floor laughing when you're singing <laughs> that. Like. But um, at the time, um, a very sort of controversial time in history, um, there's um, references to body bags and bombs and stuff like that. It's, um, Liberty Bell is um, about how um, birds were still flying around in the sky after 9-11. So um, amongst that, it was a very sort of political time. Um, I think Radiohead had gone to the top of the charter on this time, Hill to the Thief. Um, what, what do you remember of that sort of era? It was a very highly politicised time in music as well, wasn't it? Yeah. When was it? Uh, 2003. 2003. Um, oh, God, I don't remember much about 2003, to be honest with you. Um, uh, no, pass. No. They also um, released the album as a as a DVD as well with like they did with rings, um, with you know music videos for every single song. Normally, what people do is they release an album, choose a single, release four singles, four um, four music videos. But I guess they've always been like a, like I said earlier, a band that you couldn't really sort of um, 
understand what what they're going to do next. Yeah, I think they always go the extra mile. Yeah, where other bands fear to tread. Yeah, they'll go and do that. Like have a video for every song. Like buy a tank. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, instead of having stereo sound, have quadraphonic sound. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, they go the extra mile for themselves and for the fans, and that you know, it's like this is what this is what all bands should be doing, really. Like instead of just like playing to set templates that have been done to death. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and were you with the Ice Dead for that year when they rocked up in the tank? Um, no, no, no. But I'd seen it somewhere, but not, or maybe it was on the television. I don't know. <laughs> there's also there's a, like a simplicity to a lot of things that Griff does even though what ends up is quite complex in terms of like the production. Yeah. Think of like Slow Life, you mentioned that earlier. Yeah. That's like an absolute, like, I don't it's know. It's like a soundscape, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just gets, it's very simple in terms of like the, the construct of it, but it just grows and grows and becomes a sort of like techno tune that you can't imagine sort of starting off as acoustic guitar in a bedroom, like many songs. No, um, I think what what it is is, well, I don't know. I've, I've, I haven't got that much insight into how their creative processes um, happens. Like, but it, to me, it sounds like um, you know those songs. Eighty, ninety percent of those songs, you you can strum on an acoustic and sing them, and they still sound good. You know, so it's that. And then I think that after that, then you've got the other four members firing on all cylinders. We're full of musical and creative ideas. That embellish what what Griff has written, you know, and and make them, you know, they're more more, more than some of the parts. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's like, uh, and and they're sympathetic to it as well. You know, you never they never drown out the initial idea. They, they they're always um, enhancing it, and um, yeah, no, it's genius. Yeah, I think it had long gestation period as well. There, so I think it's about five six years they were writing it before it finally got on to uh, Phantom Power. <laughs> But um, it's become just as much a staple opening their sets as the man who don't give a fuck ends their sets, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So, yeah, perfect to get the crowd going for that, you know. And then when it kicks in as well, I suppose, after about a minute and a half, it's perfect start to a gig. Yeah. Yeah. And he gets to wear that um, space helmet. (laughs) (laughs) Power Rangers, yeah, yeah. Power Rangers, all right. (laughs) Um, And even now, we went to his, um, his gig at... Club of Bach last week for the uh, independent venue week and you know he's got different two different microphones one with like a delay or reverb on it and one just clean and you know just even within um, a very simple setup of a man and a guitar and yeah. maybe you know Cliff on drums and Muzzy playing wherever he was playing but he yeah I don't think there's 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 a band or a a group of people as eclectically diverse that come together and create something special like you talked about like you know um dav's drumming and the thickness of the sound and and then you've got like traditional sort of musicianship but then kian coming in with his electro wizardry that you know enhances it um and i can't you know it just has another dimension to it doesn't it it? it's like um yeah And, and then the sign of any good album is that um when you listen to it again and again, you keep hearing things that you hadn't heard before, you know, like, that, that's, that's like, um, invaluable. Does it stand the test of time for you? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I've been trying to bloody find the CD in my house, and I can't, so I've had to resort to bloody listening to it on YouTube. Yeah. But it, it actually still sounds good on YouTube, <laughs> which I'd, I'd understand, um, you know, uh, quality of, blah, blah, MP3, whatever it is. I know that it doesn't sound as good as a vinyl and CD but it still sounds yeah good and immediate and yeah definitely and um, going back to when we were searching the previous episode on um, Fuzzy Logic um, they'd been used when they were recording the demos to being up in Gorwell uh, Owens' place up in North Wales and when they came uh, to record Fuzzy Logic it was in the big lavish sort of um, recording suit 40 foot rec- recording desk and that sort of thing they seem most at home when they're sort of their own bosses in terms of the production. They, they sort of produced this album. It was in AV recordings in Cardiff Bay. And um, they would create sort of tents, like wigwams to record in. And they would record till about three in the morning. And throughout throughout the sort of um, recording process, they would have pretty much everyone within the building in, involved in some ways. So that'd be office workers and like hairdressers and people like that. 
so amazingly inventive is what we were saying again, really, just yeah. completely sort of inventive and just sort of getting sounds out of just, you know, bizarre stuff, really. Yeah. That, that's how they just, the, 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 I don't know, gives it and having other people like that and, and using what you've got to hand gives it more of an individual sound in, in a way. I know that yeah, sounds yeah. Um, counterintuitive, but it's true. Yeah, there's an extensive uh, credit list on this album as well. You've got like <laughs> Pete Fowler, obviously the illustrator, and Nick uh, Neil McFarlane doing um, additional chaos flanges on track fourteen. What's um, a chaos flanges? No idea. I thought I was hoping you could tell us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they've got yeah, Chris uh, Jenkins on there, um, aka Sadufa Styles, assisting. Um, where they recorded uh, AV Happens, but aka the sauna. So obviously it was a bit hot in right, there or something. See, right, yeah, yeah. yeah, just, uh, yeah. Probably one of the tents, is it? Yeah, probably, it? yeah. And, um, yeah, I remember when it came out in 2003, yeah, I went to the, I was in sixth form, I went to the uh, tour with um, Goldie Looking Chain and Zabrinsky supporting. And um, I found the um, title quite sort of juxtaposed with the artwork in terms of the artwork's quite an idyllic sort of countryside sort of setting. And yet there's the mystery behind the title. So the title, Phantom Power sort of conveys i think at the time that um and uh, yeah going back to 2003 it um it seemed like sort of that britain and blair was sort of um bush's glove puppet and with phantom power it sort of being like a sort of certain tiny amount of people who were sort of ruling the world and that sort of thing maybe america and you were saying you you did explain to me what phantom power was what, what was that jane um well i don't really know the technical thing but i guess it's kind of like if you've got a microphone that needs phantom power you can turn phantom power on and it makes it work yeah i concur <laughs> that's the technical <laughs> description of it um yeah and i guess like the other juxtaposition you find with this album is that the the music is very summery and there's a positive sort of outlook to it but the lyrics are quite dark as well yeah i never thought of that yeah you're right <laughs> yeah even though like in you know sex one robots is you know stuff around you know coming home in the body bags and wrapped up in tarnished flags and and those sort of things and you know is um yeah definitely a, 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 a well juxtaposed for want of a better word and i think it was sort of griff's um sort of reaction to sort of um kind of like you know there's censorship a lot of the time and yet there's like violent images and war images being sort of regurgitated through the tv screens all day every day so i think that's the sort of idea he was coming from yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Ade. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Um, it's been great talking through um, the extensive career curve, Catatonia, Ferk, the Earth, um, antlers. Sherbet Antlers, of course, um, and then to um, Messers. Messers. Okay, we did mention that as well with uh, obviously Davey from Dat Bluggy. Um, and, you know, to be able to listen again to um, an incredible album by the Super Free Animals, Phantom Power, that nobody else can choose and I'm sure they will want to in the future. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. I've ever to finish, um, we've got a new tune uh, and it's the brand new single from She's Got Spies, um, also known as Laura Nunez. Um, she set up um, She's Got Spies initially with uh, Keys frontman uh, Matthew Evans back in 2005. Um, she actually learned Welsh uh, from a love of Gorky Zygotic Monkey, Melis, and Super Furry Animals. Um, the band is named after um, the, the tune from the 90s of Super Furries. Um, this is a tune called Super Sniffer Dogs. It's on a new album, Isle of Dogs, out now.
Super, 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 super